I'm Jasmine Moradi, and you are listening to the Power of Audio, Science and AI. My guest today is my new friend, Simon Gosling. CMO at QuietMark, the independent global certification program with the aim to reduce noise pollution by leading the conversation about the impact of noise on our well-being and productivity. He's also the host of the QuietMark podcast. Before this, Simon's 30 years plus career to date has included being a drummer in a band, producing music video and film production, as well as trendsetting VR and AR marketing. He's also a tech trends consultant at his own company, Great Intro, where he works with brands, agency, and event companies developing campaigns, creative ideas for VR, AR, MR experiences, voice, and AI-based immersive technologies. Simon is a music-loving dad who enjoys cycling, dog walking, drumming, photography, reading, film, and design. He's also a great podcast host, storyteller, and TEDx speaker. In this episode, Simon and I are going to discuss the ins and outs of the true impact of living in a noisy world. Is noise pollution the next big public health crisis? And how can brands prioritize to create a quieter, healthier, and more productive world through acoustic product design and building architecture? With that, Simon, I welcome you and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. Thanks, Jess. And lovely intro. Thanks for that. <laughs> You're welcome. How are you feeling? And please express your emotions with a piece of sound. That's how I'm feeling. It's a, the drum feel at the beginning of most Bob Marley and the Waders songs by one of my favorite drummers, uh, Carly Barrett. And he, it's such a beautiful sound. It's a distinctive sound. You can listen to that drum feel. He does drum these beautiful drum fills at the beginning of most of the Waders tracks. And I don't care if it's snowing, raining, whatever the weather is outside. The moment I hear Carly Barrett play a drum fill, the sun is shining and I'm in the Caribbean. I just love it. And it always makes me feel good. So I feel really good today. And that's how I feel in a sound. Oh, that's lovely. I'm so happy. And you're actually a former drummer yourself. You, you've been a drummer in a band. So I want to know, what is your earliest memory of music as a child? When did you know you had a musical talent? and Walk us through your, you know, drummer career. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, my earliest memory of music as a child, I've got a brother who's seven years older than me. So when I was about three, uh, he would have been 10, 11, and he would often babysit for my twin sister, Sam, and I, my brother, Mark. My babysitter as well was Simon Le Bon from Duran Duran, the singer of Duran Duran, but that's a whole other story. He was our neighbor and my oh, brother's wow. very good. Yeah, so Simon Le Bon was my babysitter when I was a kid, but on days when he wasn't uh, babysitting me as a kid, my brother was, and my brother was great. He, um, you know, Top of the Pops would come on TV and my brother would say, right, I'll be um, the guitarist and out would come the tennis racket. My sister would be the singer and out would come the hairbrush. And out would come the biscuit tins and the wooden spoons for me, and I'd be the drummer. And we would play along to the whole of Top of the Pops. And I know that at school, even at nursery, when the, inst you know, I loved it at school, but it was when the instruments got put on the blanket in the middle, my earliest memories, it was 
hitting things and making sounds with 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 uh, percussive instruments that I just loved it. And um, and I loved drumming. A cousin of mine uh, was a drummer. He was in a band called Roman Holiday who had a hit in the charts. And I went and saw him on tour. His band had a number 14 song in 1982. And he went on tour with the Stray Cats and Culture Club and loads of different bands. And uh, he invited me along to a lot of their filmings. And when I saw The Rock and Roll Life, it was almost like that film, Almost Famous, you know, that classic film where someone joins the band on tour. I was doing that a bit when I was about 14. And I thought, the drummer's life is for me. So, yeah, that's kind of where my memory of it came from. And I started drumming when I was about 11. I was in bands from the age of 12. Uh, Stuart Copeland from The Police really got me into drumming uh, as a kid. And I just knew it was something I had to do. And whilst I didn't go to university, my university years were spent in bands. And I maintain to this day that the stuff I learned in bands, you know, I made the posters, uh, I booked the gigs, uh, I worked together with my friends creating stuff and uh, my band, you know, the band I was in called The Swan Jacks and uh, we never got anywhere, but I learned so much, you know, you booked your own gigs, you designed your own posters, you wrote your own songs, you produced your own songs, you booked your own um, recording sessions, you handed out maps. This is long before mobile phones, you know, to drive to the studios. We organized coaches to gigs that we held in London. And all of that organizing and design and creativity is, I still use it today. I, I maintain it was, whilst I didn't do a degree, it was my university was in, sitting on a drum stool. And so, yeah, it's just, it's always been there with me, Jazz. So, so what does the music mean in your life overall? Music it just means uh, everything to me. Um, I can't understate how I, I, music is always on in, in my day. I've always been playing it and my children have grown up listening to amazing music. My eldest daughter is uh, an artist now. She's called Rosa Cecilia. She's got singles out and, you know, she's doing her own thing, but I can certainly hear some of the stuff that we, I brought her up on, which was the Amy Winehouses and the Billie Holidays and the Kate Bushes and the Joni Mitchells. It, I can't, get enough of it and you know i i think the lebanese writer Khalil gibran said it best when he said that music is a language for the spirit it opens the secret of life bringing peace and abolishing strife and in this era you know during lockdown there's been a lot of talk um about the polarization of um social media there's such big arguments take place on twitter and it's really divisive it's really partisan people are either left or they're right they're either blue or they're red it's all black and white there's no sort of middle ground and there's so much arguments but if you put some music on you put people in a concert hall you put them in a pub like an, you think about music venues like an irish pub you know, in Dublin with the fiddle playing and the boran or a concert hall with an orchestra or a jazz bar in New Orleans or when music's on, it's peace, it's love, it's understanding. And even though there's no words, everyone understands it. And there's no nonsense with music. There's no divisiveness. And I think, it, you know, like I say, Khalil, Khalil Gibran said, it opens the secret of bringing of life, bringing peace and abolishing strife. I'll let Carlo Gibran say it better than me. Wow, I, I'm getting goosebumps because I feel the same. And that's actually the reason I did events for 15 years, because I totally agree. You know, no matter how different we are, there's something about bringing people into a venue and putting music on. It, it just creates that equality. Uh, I absolutely love it. And... Uh, 
Okay, so you didn't become a drummer at a rock star <laughs> band. Unfortunately not, no. I gave it a good go. <laughs> but I've looked at your CV and I must say, though, you've had an incredible career where you've been making wave into <laughs> advertising and in digital marketing space. So now I'm interested to know, what was it then in your inner motivation drive as a boy that brought you to where you are today? I've always been fascinated with the new uh, I'm 52. I was born in 68. Okay. And so for me, when you talk about my inner motivational drive, where does that come from as a boy? You know, I'm going to call it the three S's. Okay. Sex Pistols, Star Wars, and Space Invaders. They really shaped my life. You know, Sex Pistols, music, this sort of sense that you, if you had, if you could learn three chords, you could be in a band. Anyone can do it. And I also see punks as the great peacemakers. They were the, it was the punks that were dancing with the Rastas, listening to dub reggae. Um, you know, they broke down a lot of the racism barriers. People look at punks and thought they were violent. They weren't. As far as I'm concerned, you know, you look at people even today, like Vivian Westwood, who's doing a lot to raise awareness to pollution in the planet. But Vivian was the original punk, you know, punk, punk for me is good. Um, Star Wars, I was uh, nine when that came out, I remember queuing around the block to see that film. And when I saw it, I could take you now to the seat in Rainer's Lane Odeon Cinema, if it was still there. I could take you to the seat that I sat in to watch Star Wars. And that whole The World Is Now Colour happened. I couldn't believe it. In fact, there's a hologram in Star Wars, which is Help Me, Obi-Wan, You're My Only Hope when Luke sees Leia. I, was the, I did the first ever hologram phone call with a company called Double Me when I was working at News Corporation. I actually spoke to a hologram. It was a world, it was a world first, a world first in terms of a hologram that is being transmitted by Wi-Fi. Okay, So I ended up talking to a Princess Leia-style hologram um, many years afterwards. But Star Wars got me fascinated with storytelling, characters, design, film. And um, I was just obsessed with it. I couldn't watch enough film. And I ended up becoming a visual effects supervisor, working with Oscar-winning companies like The Moving Picture Company and Framestore. I started really working on music videos, doing visual effects supervision and uh, production for, uh, you know, directors like uh, Michelle Gondry, who was an absolute honor to have worked with, but many different directors around the time. Uh, I worked on Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels with Guy Ritchie. And, you know... Um, I just found that my love of music and my love, which was Sex Pistols, my love of star, uh, film Star Wars kind of put me on this path towards when the drumming didn't work out, I became, uh, I went into post-production, I went into visual effects, working in music videos, working on films, it kind of all mixed up, it was just the world I wanted to be in and I say to people today, when you think about your career, are you doing something in the field that you're passionate about? Because if you're not, get out and get into a field where you love what you're doing and you love what you're making. And then the Space Invaders thing, I mean, this, was a, this would be 1980, I would say, 1979, 1980, and I was about 11 or 12. And everyone was playing Pong, the, the, the first tennis game where it's like, well, or, you know, where you've got two bats and a ball bouncing on screen, which was fantastic when I was a kid. But Star Wars, Space Invaders, sorry, was something really different. I remember I was on a, I was on a campsite, okay, and there was this hut where there was an arcade and the arcades up to that point had always been pinball machines and analog stuff. And suddenly I walk into this room, right? 
And there's this Space Invaders cabinet, which looked amazing anyway. And it's just crowded. It's, it feels like I'm describing a scene out of Stranger Things when I tell you this story now, which is another good S, Stranger Things. I love that show too. But anyway, these boys, it was, it was mainly boys, they were all crowded around this machine. And I was like pushing my way through thinking, what are they looking at? What's going on? And looking over someone's shoulder and seeing them move the tank, fire the missiles at the invaders, which got faster the more you knocked out and thinking, Oh my God, this is unbelievable. I got on Atari. I had uh, video games at home and I still play video games today. I'm a big fan of FIFA and Zombie Army 4 is one of my games I like. And I eventually I became a futurist. I, I worked at a company called Happy Finish from about 2013. And we were, I was working on the first ever VR branded experiences. I did the first branded experience for Ted Baker for Google Cardboard. We worked on the first... Uh, use of virtual reality at an event show when we did something for Honeywell we enable people at an event right you know to put on a headset and enter the inside of a plane and look at Honeywell's uh, offerings you know so I wanted to I've always been like god that looks shiny and you what's that let's get involved in that and but most importantly not just the technology how can you share stories using this technology because if you don't get the story right it all goes to pop Today, you are the CMO at QuietMark, which is the International Consumer Champion Program linked to the UK Nose Abandonment Society. And the founder, Puppy Skiller, is a third generation noise reduction campaigner and a business entrepreneur who has started the first multinational Buy Quiet Movement organization. Your objective is to identify and award products that offers high performance and low noise. Brief us the history and then how you got involved. In 2016, I built, I led the build of um, the home of 2020, and it was a 2,000 square foot space. And I got to interview various people about what the home of 2020 might be like. I spoke to Oliver Heath, who's one of my guests on, my, on the Quiet Mark podcast, about biophilia, looking at interior design in the year 2020, when it was 2016. I also looked at sound in the future home and was introduced to Poppy Skeeler on that project. And we became friends from there onwards. And that's when I discovered what Quiet Mark was and its business. Um, Quiet Mark help helps to raise money through the licensing of products only the quietest products we get license fees and some of that license fee money helps to fund the noise abatement society and the noise abatement society as you say it's a third generation business the noise abatement society was started in 1959 by john connell obe who's poppy's grandfather poppy's own mother his daughter gloria elliott is the co-founder of quiet mark and she's also the chair of the noise abatement society and of quiet mark so the company that i'm working with 
it's a family business, if you like. And it's not just an occupation, it's a vocation. And they are passionate about raising awareness to the dangers of noise pollution, but also finding solution and helping to provide solutions to unwanted noise. And some of those solutions come through the quiet mark itself, which is uh, many people will know when you see that purple cue for quiet mark on the side of products, you'll see it on brands like uh, Dyson's famous uh, supersonic hairdryer. You'll see it on Miele washing machines on a whole range. We've got 80 brands that work with us whose products are quiet mark certified. And as I say, roughly speaking, only the quietest 10 to 20% of products are quiet. So the service that QuietMark provides, which helps to fund the work of the Noise Abatement Society, and their work is amazing, I should say. Just to quickly talk about Noise Abatement Society, you know, who are you going to call Ghostbusters if you've got ghosts in your house? Who are you going to call if you've got noisy neighbours or you might be living upstairs from a supermarket and those cages start rattling at 4.30 in the morning with the milk bottles in them and it's making an awful noise? What can you do about it as an individual? Yes, you can inform the local government, you can inform the local council, you can do if you've got noise issues, but who you're going to call is also the Noise Abatement Society. They have a hotline number. And whilst it's not a one-to-one service necessarily, they nevertheless have produced uh, reams and reams and reams of literature advising people on, here's what you can do if you've got a noisy supermarket next door. I should say that John Connell almost single-handedly lobbied Parliament to get the Noise Abatement Society, the Noise Abatement Act passed uh, 60 years ago. It's thanks to his work that noise became recognised as a pollutant. And therefore, the Noise Abatement Act comes in and there it meant for the first time that if neighbourhoods or councils or anyone was creating noise over a certain level, it was illegal to do so. Before that, there was no measure on it. But thanks to John Connell's hard work, he made it so that it, like I say, there was a stat, it was statutory, there were rights, and that then went global. You know, there are now noise abatement acts around the world. But Quiet Mark was this genius idea that Poppy and her mother had on, they thought we need to raise more money because the Noise Abatement Society is a charity. How can we raise money to fund its work? Well, let's do the Quiet Mark licensing scheme. So brands send their products to Quiet Mark to be. Uh, tested in our acoustic labs okay and like i say roughly speaking only the quietest 10 to 20 percent pass or or achieve certification they then pay for a license and that license comes with many different uh, benefits we help market them uh, in certain ways we raise awareness to their being part of the quiet revolution which is the 80 brands whose products are certified but they also get the opportunity then to use they, they, through licensing, they get the opportunity to use the queue in their marketing, in their packaging. So, and, you know, now, for example, you, you'll see the queue. We've got quiet mark pages on the John Lewis website, very website, Little Woods. We're working with some of the big Argos. We're working with some of the biggest retailers. Retailers are very keen to have quiet mark pages because especially since the pandemic, when we've seen an increase in work from home, people are very keen to find the quieter products to make their homes easier calmer to work in you overall are like spreading uh the word you're educating uh the world about this very important uh, subject you are the evangelist i would say and one of your roles uh is that you stimulate manufacturers worldwide to prioritize responsible acoustic design and reduce noise pollution as you said um, and by doing this you guide customers to find the quietest technology and solutions to unwanted noise in their homes 
And as you were saying, you test all elements of a product sound and you accredit all types of home products from electronic toothbrush to alarm clocks. And as you mentioned, these successful products are then awarded with this Quiet Mars certification. I'm interested to know, uh, walk us through your certification process and requirements. It's not just the things that make a noise inside your house that are getting Quiet Mars certified. It's also the things that build your house, like the windows, the floors, the doors, the ceilings, the vents. And those items are what have been listed now in our Acoustics Academy, which we can talk more about later. But to look at our assessment process, you uh as i say you know we're in the process of uploading all this information to our uh website as we speak because we've been getting so many more calls from journalists asking about you know more detail about how we assess so let me read that to you so we say that quiet mark leads its definitive acoustic measurement system engaging with global specialist acoustic teams QuietMark conducts assessments of declared technical test data and carries out acoustic measurement of products in our purpose-built QuietMark test laboratory, which is in Clapham. And sometimes we work with specialist acoustic lab partners for specific product categories. So one of our partners is a company called Anderson Acoustics, who are very highly respected in the field of acoustics. They're at the forefront of acoustic measurement, and they're affiliated with the Institute of Acoustics and the Association of Noise Consultants. We're also established with Good Housekeeping Institute in North America and Canada. Uh, Good Housekeeping is an institution in the US. It's read by 17 million people a month. And it's very well known that you look at the Good Housekeeping Institute's product assessments to find out how products perform. But also Good Housekeeping, when they want their products tested acoustically, they send them to QuietMark. And you'll very often see in uh, Good Housekeeping magazine a QuietMark's star rating which looks at how well certain products perform we work with them on a very regular basis we also work with head acoustics and they're one of the world's leading companies in comprehensive analysis of sound and vibration whenever uh, wherever acoustics and sound quality play a role intertech are another partner they're a leading total quality assurance provider to industries worldwide providing acoustic testing for quiet market specialist laboratories so Let's look at products which are eligible for QuietMark certification. Acoustic product data is compared like for like in each category, triangulating the core performance data of the product and its acoustic performance. From a comprehensive data set of a selection of current comparable market samples for each category, between 10 and 20% of the quietest, best performing products are awarded QuietMark certification. Uh, each product category, and there's about 61 of uh, different products, product categories they're re-evaluated on an annual basis to reflect new models coming onto the market so if a product achieves quite mark certification one year when they come to renew their license they don't just automatically get given a brand new license the product has to be retested and if it's no longer within that quietest 10 to 20 percent it doesn't automatically get quiet mark certification for another year and this is good because it encourages ongoing uh, innovation and uh, invention to keep products and reduce noise in certain categories. We test small domestic appliances and technologies. So we have our own testing lab, which is purpose-built. It has hard floors, 
walls and surfaces to re- it reflects a real domestic home or an office or a washroom environment with tiled surfaces and open living uh, open plan living space to make sure that we test repeatedly uh, and repeatably in the toughest acoustic settings so small domestic appliances or sdas and home office technologies including kettles food preparation floor care personal grooming and office equipment are tested with a sound meter at the source of the sound output but without interference from exter- uh, from any exterior uh, external environmental noise with typical background sound levels falling well below 25 decibels and another factor that is considered during quiet markers acoustic assessment is the listener experience of the appliance most sound isn't monotone it's it typically comprises many frequencies at varying levels and a product may have a low noise output but it may also have an annoying element to that sound quality. Think about a mosquito. You know, a mosquito is not a very loud thing, but when you hear it, it's so irritating, not just because it's an, uh, an insect that you might get bitten by, but also that whole sound, it, the sound level is ir- irritating, isn't it? And uh, you can have two products, you can have two food mixers, both at the same decibels, but one sound has a really pleasant hum, and the, one, the other one has a really annoying rattle or a screech. And it's not just decibels which achieve quiet mark certification. It's the overall tonalities and it's the sound quality that gets taken into consideration in the assessment process. noise like you don't want to even be my neighbor when it comes to that <laughs> <laughs> and then it is even worse now during lockdown because you know during the lockdown when the entire world has been and is still spending more time living and working at home we've become more aware of the negative impact of noise so explain for us the side effects of noise and why quieter technology and effective acoustic solution is needed now more than ever. Well, you know, that's a really interesting point. You know, we are in what's called the work from home era. You know, Deloitte uh, recently did a survey, did it, did it in January, and it showed that even post-pandemic, there's an expectation that over 32% of workers will continue to work from home. Home has very much become the office of the future, the office of the new normal, if you like. Um, And when people are working from home, we ask the question, how conducive are our home uh, environments to productivity? You know, background noise in an office, if it's conversation or even at home, can reduce productivity. It's proven to reduce productivity by up to 66%. You know, um, 
the reason for this, the scientific reason for this, is that we require at least two of our senses to deliver optimum response in any given stimulus. You know, when we eat, we want to see the food before we taste it. When we go to the cinema, you know, we want to hear the film as well as see the film. You, you're constantly engaging more than one sense. And if you've got one of those senses, your listening sense, distracted by back, background noise, it makes you less productive. When you're less productive by 66%, you have to work longer hours in order to complete your work. You worry, am I going to be able to complete my work? I'm distracted. Uh, and with that worry comes an elevation in your stress levels and your senses of anxiety. And that can have knock-on effects. You know, um, you know, it can, give, it can actually lead to blood pressure and all sorts of illnesses. Working in your living room, which is adjoining to your open plan kitchen, suddenly you're very aware just how loud your fridge is, you know, you know, can you put your kettle on when you're doing a zoom call, for example, or does it scream? Do you have to mute the microphone, you know, uh, but that's where you can almost through the products, which are on quietmark.com. Like I say, there's 61 different categories. One of the things we found is at the beginning of lockdown in uh, March, 2020, there were 350 products on quietmark.com. That's increased to over a thousand. It's tripled. Uh, since the pandemic, with many, many more manufacturers coming to us saying, we recognize the demand for quiet, there's a work from home trend, we need to let consumers know that our products are quiet. And also one of the things we've, it's not just the number of products which have tripled during lockdown, but also the number of visits to our um, website, you know, I look after marketing, I look at our organic search, our organic search is growing exponentially. Our visits to our website have more than tripled in the last year. And, and they staying that way. People are clearly thinking, I need to improve my work environment. I need to improve the soundscape of my home. What I'm going to check on Quietmark's website before I buy a product, what items are quiet. But they can also do that, like I said earlier, on johnlewis.com, on Argos. There are Quietmark pages. And people are very much looking for quiet before they buy something because in this work from home era, they don't want that distraction and they know that quieter products help their well-being. Well, you sent me an, an, an article that was very interesting where the World Health Organization highlights noise as the second biggest environment issue after air pollution. That's and furthermore, right. their calculation shows that at least 1 million healthy life years are lost every year in West European country because of um, environmental noise. I, I mean, I'm super shocked. Mm. I mean, how can it be? So explain for us, what is noise pollution? How is it slowly killing us? And why is this issue not alerted enough? I mentioned John Connell earlier. And he called noise pollution the invisible pollutant, um, which is a great way of uh, describing, you know, when, when I've told people that the World Health Organization says it's the second biggest environmental issue after air pollution, they're like, what? Noise? How can noise harm you? There's a really great piece in the New Yorker as well, a couple of years ago by a writer called David Owen with the headline, is noise the next big pollution? And there's a video on that, a really cool video. I, I suggest people will check it out. But he talks about, he's driving through the streets of New York. And he said, if you could see noise pollution, one of the things about New, New York, you're driving through New York and you'll hear jackhammers, pneumatic drills, beatboxes, boomboxes, car horns. 
it's a cacophony of noise when you go to New York. It's like a war going on. It really is. But people saw, in some respects, it gives a character to the city. People are like, well, that's just New York. It's a loud city. What can you do? They almost give into it. They almost expect and accept that, hey, it's a city. It's just going to be loud. But there are solutions to all of those noises that I just described. And one of the things that David Owen says in the video that I just mentioned is he says, if you could see noise pollution, it would look like just piles and piles of plastic bottles and rubbish strewn anywhere and you wouldn't accept it but because we can't see it we just go hey it's new york it's just getting louder and that's where john connell 60 years ago said no enough's enough we need an act to recognize that the world has got too loud and the guardian is now writing about it that article that i shared with you was from 2018 the one that was called sonic doom how noise pollution kills thousands each year and the world health organization has this docu uh, document called the burden of noise and you know Noise pollution occurs when people are, unexpo- are exposed to unwanted noise and it impacts on their daily lives. But it's worth noting that noise is also subjective and contextual. So, for example, um, think about church bells. You know, you could be on a country walk with your friend and you go for a country walk and you hear some beautiful church bells in the distance and you hear birds singing. You think, oh, this is an idyllic scene. There's birds singing. Those, the, the church bells are ringing. Isn't it beautiful? But it's not very nice for the person who lives next door to the church who's trying to put their baby to sleep, right? Noise is contextual and subjective, and there are solutions to this. And so um, there's another good example about how noise interferes with us is, again, I think it's in that David Owen video, that, but he talks about a New York school, okay, in the early 80s. Now, there was this New York school, and it was right, it was in a poorer section of, uh, of town. It was right by the elevated train line. I think it's called the L section of the train line. And this school, there was a classroom by the train line, and there was a classroom on the other side of the school. And by the, by the end of five years educating in that school, because the teacher had to stop teaching every time a train went past, Okay, by the end of five years, two classes in the same year group were one that the one that were at the back of the school away from the train line were a year further ahead in their education than the children living whose classroom was next to the train line. The solution came in rubber dampeners underneath the rail tracks. There are solutions to these things. So they put rubber dampeners on, it reduced the noise, and the education of the children sitting next to the uh, train line improved because the teacher didn't have to stop the lesson every time a train went past, okay? Um, But when you look at the fact that it actually leads to death, that's the thing that people go, look, I can understand noise being irritating, but how can it kill you, you know? Um, I, you know, air pollution, if it's toxic, you breathe it in, it's bad for your lungs. I can understand that killing you, but noise, people are often surprised by that. But the, and as you said, you know, the World Health Organization has calculated that at least 1 million healthy lives are lost every year in Western European countries because of environmental noise, with cardiovascular disease contributing to the vast majority of these deaths, especially high blood pressure, heart attacks, and coronary heart, heart disease. It is thought that noise, uh, it's thought that noise tr- triggers the release of stress hormone called cortisol, which damages blood vessels over time. And when you look at the document, the burden of noise by the World Health Organization, there's this great pyramid diagram, which I can share with you, Jazz. And it starts in the pyramid at the widest point is the number of people affected. Okay, and at the very top is the peak is the least number of people affected. But to read through with you, it starts with feelings of 
depth, discomfort, annoyance, disturbance. I don't think anyone listening to this show can say that they've not been, they've not felt discomfort or disturbance from noise. In fact, to look at that, councils receive more complaints about noise than any other issue. And it's a growing problem. In the UK, Kensington and Chelsea uh, uh, in London received the most noise complaints. It had 13,790 complaints in 2016, which is the equivalent of eight more than 87 complaints for every 1,000 inhabitants. And it was basic, uh, basement extensions, street music, and car noise that led to people making those complaints. It's the most complained about thing. And this pyramid that I mentioned, starts with feelings of discomfort in brackets, annoyance, disturbance. Then it goes up to stress indicators, which are autonomous response or stress hormones. That leads to risk factors. It's not one noise that does this. It's the accumulation. It might be, I couldn't get on with my work because of noise, which made me stress because I was not meeting my deadline. Then I went out and I went into the streets and it was loud there. And everywhere I went, I went on the trains and they were screaming. There was noise everywhere. And it's this compound effect that leads to sleep disturbance, cardiovascular disease, and in, as you heard from the World Health Organization, mortality. So yeah, noise is a killer. There are solutions out there. That's what the Noise Abatement Society is so busy in its mission in doing it. it's like i talked about the supermarkets example earlier but the noise abatement society works with transport for london it's constantly looking at situations and saying how can we improve these how can we reduce noise to make life better for people and to reduce the number of life years which are being lost in western europe and globally every year yeah i mean i, I did i did a research where i tested staff in a store regarding the music and out of the psychology I got out the personas that there are some people that are outgoing and super like expressive like myself that absolutely cannot handle it like we we, we verbally has to say like stop it right and then we have people that you know they're, they're accepting it somehow but not and then we have some people that just decide to shut it off and going to your New York example um, my dream was really like working in New York and it came through a couple of years ago where I wasn't just there for a week of vacation I was there actually for three weeks and I must say that even if I loved being there I couldn't wait to like get out of there because as you say suddenly I couldn't like breathe enough I didn't know I was just in constant panic and I think one thing with noise is also that we are taught not to complain Mm. because complaining about noise is also like being rude right like telling your neighbors to stop or where do you go to 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 reduce it can I do that or not So there is a challenge, but I think this subject is really important because we need to make a change and companies need to understand, as you say, they can make changes. It can sometimes be just a small thing. And then I'm interested to know, because in the same article that you sent me, an epithelologist from Imperial College of London states that there's a consistent evidence that road traffic noise leads to heart attack. So then I want to know, with the innovation of electric cars, can we now make an impact and improve this issue once for all? And if so, how? Well, yes, we can. There's no doubt that electric cars are going to be quieter than 
uh, petrol uh, and and diesel cars that preceded them. So, but you know, um, with the electric cars, there comes a, a safety issue because there's a concern that they're so quiet that people might step out in front. Uh, you know. I'm a cyclist. I can't tell you how many people wearing headphones just step off the path into my, into you know, step off the pavement into my pay, my my direction, um, because they're listening to headphones and I'm cycling and they don't hear the bike. And so, there's a lot of talk in the automotive industry about creating, um, if you like, f- synthesized fake sounds for cars, electric cars. They won't be as loud as. Um, you know the petrol motors that we're that we're used to they, they'll, they'll still be quite electric cars but it's, it's necessary for electric cars to emit some sort of sound so that people don't step off the path and cyclists know they're there and pedestrians know they're there for a safety issue so we're yet to really see what happens with electronic cars and how much noise they generate uh that that's for sure but um it will help you know if we talked about the trains uh, you know, those dampeners enabling the classes instead of them being a year apart by the end of five years in the same school, if that those rubber dampeners can bring up the difference so that they're both at the same level by the end of those five years, that's great. Reducing noise has helped that, that people's life. And, you know, when it comes to neighborhoods and electric cars, uh, one of the other things that can lead to ill health is if you don't get enough sleep. If you've got loud motorbikes, if you've got loud cars going through your neighborhoods, they can wake you up in the middle of the night and you might not get back to sleep again. Electronic cars are going to reduce that significantly as well. But I do also think, though, that society has got a lot further to go with this. Okay. Um, I don't own a car. I'm going to put that out there. All right. I cycle everywhere i used to do when i was working at bidstack i mentioned earlier my commute was 13 miles my wife and i have bikes my dog romeo gets in a basket on the front of my bike we do supermarket shops on bicycles and it's a it's a mindset you know once upon a time people didn't recycle they just threw everything in the same rubbish bin but there was this recognition that there was uh, a need to recycle and it became something that you know, you'd almost feel terrible if you didn't recycle. Now that there's, I don't think people were recycling in the UK. I'm going to put it out there. I don't know how long, but 10, 15 years ago, but now everyone recycles, you know, although one of the things we do see very often, and I talk about mindsets is, you know, they say lockdowns down, everyone's going to get together in the park and everyone goes to the park. And then the next day you see photographs where people have just left their plastic bottles all over the park. And you think, when are you going to learn? And when I talk about the mindset um, with cars, I cycle everywhere, all over London, and I can't tell you how many queues of cars I pass going up to red traffic lights. And I would say if I go past a queue of 20 cars, 19 of them have got one person sitting in it. Now, I don't know where they're going, but I'd hazard a guess that the majority of them are on less than five mile journeys. I, I literally, I'm 52, I ride rain, snow, sleet, hail, sunshine. You've got waterproofs, you've got like, they, like the Norwegians say, there's no such thing as bad weather, there's just the wrong clothing, you know? And um, I thought that I was really, a Swedish thing. <laughs> is it a Swedish thing? You're from Sweden, it's a Scandinavian yeah. thing. It's true though, isn't it? And I think that people think, oh, I couldn't possibly ride three miles to go and buy a you know, bottle of milk or whatever. Of course you can, but it's about, and you know, we, we are seeing a huge upturn in bicycle sales. I've, I've got a Brompton and a Tokyo bike. So I've got a fold up for some uses and I've got a, a street bike for other things, but 
Um, I really think we're going to see, you know, bicycle sales took off during lockdown, which is great, but I think we're going to see that trend increase. And I think that that part of that, the motivation of that trade is recognizing that we want to reduce noise levels. We want to get healthier and, you know, the bicycle will be a big part of it. We need to take our own responsibility in these areas. But moving on and figuring out a solution then, in one of your podcast episodes, you state that as a wave of silence spread across the planet during lockdown, reconnecting us all with the calming sounds of nature as human noise reportedly fell with 5%. How can we prevent going back now? And what is the government doing to raise awareness and decrease it? And whose responsibility is it? That's uh, a really good question. Um, that thing we talked about there about the wave of silence which spread around the world and decreased the volume of the world by 50%. Being a, a drummer who was in a band and, you know, my guitarist had those amplifiers, we're all, most people will be familiar with that scene in Spinal Tap where the guy goes, my amplifier goes up to 11, not just 10, it goes up to 11. <laughs> it's a great scene. But anyway, most amplifier dials go up to 10. And so what's effectively happened is the volume dial on the planet has gone from 10 down to five during lockdown. And the big question we have to ask is, do we want it to go all the way back up to 10 again? Or how can we keep it, that, how can we keep that volume down, that, that volume at five for as long as we can? But to understand the answer to that question, you have to look at the three biggest causes of noise, human generated noise, and why did it go down from 10 to five? And the three biggest factors were air travel, road traffic and construction. These three things are the three things which cause the most noise. Now, air travel, well, that went down to five because people weren't flying. But in order to keep that at five, I'm hoping, I, I have a very good friend, he's like a brother to me, but he used to fly to Japan, literally to sign a letter. You know, he was flying to Japan all the time. What does he, what's he had to do during lockdown? Zoom calls. And he said, I don't know if I'm ever going to fly to Japan again. Not only is that good for the planet if we reduce flying, but it's certainly good for reducing noise level. I think that if we can reduce unnecessary flights that people used to go on, that they now recognize, hold on, I can do this remotely. That's going to be great. So that will help keep things closer to five. It won't, I'm not saying it will stay at five, it, but hopefully it won't have to go all the way back up to 10 again. Same goes for road travel. You know, I talked earlier about Deloitte doing a poll where 32% of people are going to work from home post-pandemic. That's a, that's, a, that's a third of the workforce. And if, a third, if that third of the workforce used to be in their cars driving debt to work, that's also helping to keep the dial at five. The third one was construction. And this is, we're passionate about them all at QuietMark, but this is something we're looking very closely at at, at QuietMark. You know, there was a saying the government said, build, build, build uh, before the pandemic. They were looking to build more housing. There was a famous quote where there's questions and discussion in the building sector now. Will this become renovate, renovate, renovate? There's many different stories where businesses that had huge amounts of real estate for their businesses are moving away from them. I read that Pret-a-Manger had a huge head office. They're moving out. I know that Sony had many different offices down um, Great Portland Street, uh, sorry, uh, Great Marlborough Street near Liberties in London. They're reducing, I think, from three to one building. So much office space, you know, top shops 
not going to be used. Shops are emptying because of the way the trend that has moved towards online shopping that was going on for a long time, but it's accelerated during lockdown. So yes, build, build, build will happen, but there could be a lot of renovate as these spaces become disused. But even if we do do build, 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 do we, can we reduce the noise made by construction? Um, one of the guests on our podcast is a chap called Mike Jacob from Kiss House, who builds houses in the passive house uh, style. And he is looking at developing technologies and processes which quieten and reduce the noise generated by construction. As I said, with the mindset, uh, you know, looking at Copenhagen versus America, it's a mindset how you approach it. Building construction, one of the loudest parts of building construction is the groundwork, the cement and so on that gets to, that gets done and all the trucks driving into that area. But Mike was talking to us on the show about doing a lot of the groundwork off site. So you do it in an industrial estate in the middle of nowhere and you drive a lot of it to the area where the building is being erected rather than doing it all in that building area where it might be adjoining neighborhoods and creating a great deal of disturbance. There's always going to be noise from construction but if more construction moves into renovation and if more of the construction takes place off site we can reduce the noise emitted by construction and also help to keep that closer to five than going back up to ten but it comes from making an effort and when, when you say uh, rebuilding it i mean as i said whose responsibility is it is it the government well, is it the brands or is it that the the us humans we have to complain well, we have to complain, I think. I think, let's face it, let's be honest, looking at, it doesn't matter what political party you support, when did you really see any politician on television saying, we're going to reduce noise? They'll talk about increasing spending in their manifestos, they talk about various things, but noise during party political debates and processes, noise is very rarely on the agenda and you only have to look at something like the grenfell the awful grenfell building disaster which uh, happened because of the you know poor materials that were being used and now after some after people have died and a disaster has happened there's now new laws about the, the types of insulation materials that you can use to build certain buildings. Unfortunately, and we, we see too much too many instances here historically that a disaster has to happen before mm. something gets done sadly, about it. Sadly, that's the it's whole true, thing though, isn't COVID, it? right? We needed COVID to realize that we need a quieter world. In, in many ways we did, you know, the silencing, and that's an important thing you just said there, Jazz. When the noise reduced, suddenly we could hear nature a lot more okay the nature which had been masked by those three things air travel road traffic and construction some people said oh my god the birds have got so much louder i can hear the wind in the trees i can hear the sound of the waves and it wasn't that nature had got louder but it was that human generated noise which was masking these natural sounds had gone away. And one of the things that the Financial Times said at the very beginning of the first lockdown was, is a reconnection with nature the antidote to our fears in these strange, unprecedented times? And one of the things we've seen grow massively over this past year is this reconnection to nature, the increase in biophilic design awareness, and the well-being of, of uh, nature, you know. Um, but I think 
you know, in terms of what who's doing something about it, yes, there are laws. There's we talked earlier about the noise abatement uh, uh, act, you know, and recognizing that if you exceed certain sound levels, you can be penalized for it. But again, we need to lobby for it. So it's you know, it's taken Greta Thunberg and people who relate to what Greta Thunberg has said to think twice about buying plastic bottles to reduce the plastic pollution in the ocean to do to change their lifestyles to help slow down the increase in temperature on the planet you know it sometimes takes an individuals to make to put that pressure on government Mm. and say we've had enough and the government suddenly look and think we can either ignore what this person's doing and you know, not sign the the Paris Agreement, or we can sign the Paris Agreement and make an effort to do something about it. Um, but it, people pressure can apply that to the government. They, you know, this is what John Connell did in 1959. It's not new. He said things have got too loud, and he lobbied to get the sound, the noise abatement act through Parliament. That still exists. But I think that the New York example, where we said people just accept it what needs to happen and through what the work that Quartmark does through articles like David Owens, one in the New Yorker saying noise pollution, is it the next big pollution? Looking at the work that the World Health Organization is doing, saying it's the second biggest killer, recognizing that the biggest complaint numbers to councils are noise related. Mm-hmm. Noise is growing on the agenda. You know, is it the next big pollution? Is it, you know, we've been talking about plastic and global wing. Is noise the next one? And Certainly, with what we're doing at QuietMark and what we do with the QuietMark podcast, what we've done before I joined the company, Poppy was uh, producing a film called Pursuit for Silence. She was working on a film about people who've dedicated their lives to finding silence in the world, whether it's forest bathing in Japan or whether it's a chap who's taken a vow of silence to travel from one side of of America to the other, promising not to utter a world, to reconnect with silence in a really busy world and the interesting thing is that as you said covid has almost forced that in fact one thing i read and i just want to share this with you i read an article in the guardian and it was about pret-a-manger and uh the ceo of pret-a-manger was talking about it and he said that when people see the pret-a-manger bag they that it's emblematic of a time they don't want to return to when people were stopped going to the office and they started to work from home, they, they stopped, just like the noise stopped, and they thought, my, my life had gone out of control. It wasn't, it wasn't just noise, it was chaos. And they recognized that they used to get off the train, buy the sandwich, go to their desk, and they didn't even taste the sandwich because they were doing emailing, they were looking at Instagram, they were getting on with stuff. Since lockdown, I now have more meals at home with my family. I'm enjoying the taste of my food. I'm doing nicer walks. I'm doing things that the commute used to deny me. And I think that um, people will value the quiet. They'll love the fact that it's gone back to five. It has been an antidote to their fears. They're liking the reconnection with nature. And if things do get too loud again and do get out of hand again, maybe collectively, and we call it the quiet revolution, like I said earlier, but maybe more people will protest and say, we think things have got too loud we want the government to do more about it, and hopefully they will. That, that was exactly what I was going to say. What I love about Quiet Market is that it gives the power also to the people that forces the companies 
to understand that the change of consumer behavior has changed because their needs right now is to have a more balanced and quieter life. And then the companies has to adapt to that or people won't stop you know, buying their products anymore. architectures also have a responsibility a couple of years ago i was invited to mexico city to to hold a speech in front of architects how you work with with sound in spaces because as you said uh they're very visually focused so when they're designing as you were explaining they want material that looks beautiful but unfortunately what they do is they walk in to design that beautiful but they don't know actually how it sounds when the people come in and and things start you know the sound starts um, bouncing uh, around and you were also mentioning yeah. that in in london that uh, more companies are decreasing their spaces in their offices. However, I mean, even if we enjoy working at home, I think, and they've been said that a lot of people will like to combine it with the time in the office so they can collaborate with the colleagues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Me, myself, I hate to be in an open office because I really can't focus uh, um, in a noisy environment. And also when people are moving, I'm very sensitive. So I follow their movements. So what do you think employees will expect from workplaces going forward? And how can companies support this? This is where I'll ask you a question. Are you familiar with the Wellbuilding Institute? No. Okay. Is it There's again just only in the UK? <laughs> no, it's global. it's global. And in fact, uh, just last in the last couple of weeks, I'm really pleased to be able to let you know that I've been accepted to be one of the advisories to the Wellbuilding Institute on their home and their sound advisories, um, which is great because the work that we're doing at QuietMark very much aligns, you know, improving well-being in the built environment. Very much, very much aligns with what the Wellbuilding Institute uh, does. So, to explain Wellbuilding Institute, I should tell you first of all, their latest advert um, was directed by Spike Lee, and it features J Lo, Lady Gaga, um, Robert De Niro, Michael B. Jordan, Venus Williams, all saying that when they go to buildings, um, they look for the well-building standard, the well-building certification. Because when they see the well-building certificate on the wall, they know that that building has been designed and built with well-being and good mental health in mind. So if people are looking to the quiet mark for the quietest products, they're looking for the well-building standard for the best, healthiest buildings. 
And a good friend of mine who was episode on episode two of the Quiet Mark podcast is a guy called Ethan Bordeaux, and he is the acoustic lead at the Well Building Institute. And when buildings, building owners say, right, we want to get our building, like we have people come to Quiet Mark saying we want our products to be Quiet Mark certified because we've worked really hard to make them quiet and we want people to know it with the cue on the, on the, on the label. Similarly, Buildings want to make their spaces more enticing for their workers to return to. We've got very cozy in our homes. We don't want to go back to these loud offices. We like not commuting. What can buildings do to say to people, come back? It's nice. It's going to be really, you know, we talked about 66% less productive if you have noise in the background. Maybe, you know, I'm quite fortunate. I have quite a quiet home. I'm recording in my bedroom now. There's not much background noise apart from my dog shaking its collar a few times. But some people live in housing, which has got neighbors left, right, and center. And it's really loud and distracting. They can't wait to get back to the office. Are people living in London where you share? Well, my daughter's 23, right? She's like, I want to be amongst people. I'm 52. I've made my friends. I've done my work office life. I'm not in a hurry to go back to the office. And actually, what I'm talking about there between my 23-year-old daughter and me is indicative across the, the, the globe. They're finding that the most senior, older people like myself at work are quite happy to stay at home, whereas the younger ones are like, I want to go to the pub after work. I want to meet people, you know, which is what I loved doing in my 20s and 30s, of course. And I wouldn't want to deny them that. And so there is this sense of how can we bring those senior people back to the office? They don't really want to come in in the, in the majority of instances. And one of the things that a building can do is apply for well certification but it won't just get well certification it has to satisfy very loads of different criteria air quality light quality thermal quality and acoustic quality is one of the uh, ethan tells me is one of the things if you like on the clipboard which has got the most check check boxes by it the acoustics has got more to check than any other area and um so like i say what building owners and can do is create off workspaces and when people go back to work it's going to be wow the office has really changed. There are zones for quiet. There might be biophilic plant areas, uh, plants using to shield the conversations from one area to another. And I think there's going to be an, over, an upheaval and an overhaul in design to achieve the well standard. So, and it will be the thing that the, the boss or the building owner can say, come on, guys, come back, look at this space. You'll see it's much better than working at home. You can be more productive productive here it's definitely worth coming back to work and the well-building standard is something that enables companies to do that with their employees mm. and it's not just the seniors there are some of us like me there are super <laughs> super super sensitive people <laughs> and you missed the uh i mean when i was around your age i couldn't wait to be in in soho you know going to restaurants and bars and all, and all this sort of stuff that you, you can do that do. afterwards right you can work from home and then you can meet up with your friends <laughs> afterwards <laughs> or no, it depends like, where you live because then there's that sort of thing oh i've got to travel into town you know but i get you i hear you. that's true so what would you say then are the challenges with acoustic and product design and in building sector and what are your best practices then to brand leaders and architectures out there I think one of the challenges, like you said earlier, is the lack of emphasis on acoustics. I've spoken to uh, architects who say we have seven years studies to become a visual architect. And we spend about 
five days talking about acoustic and the rest of the six years and 360 days are spent on visual. Okay. And that's why we called Acoustics Academy at Quietmark. We called it our Acoustics Academy. So Acoustics Academy is a directory which lists a variety of Quietmark verified products which you can use in the building sector on all different types of buildings. Okay. And like I said, it's got ceilings, it's got floors by Candine. Now, here's the thing. You don't just have architects, you have acousticians. So Jack Richardson at Hilson Moran, uh, Adrian Passmore at Arab, they, they head up, and Richard at the BDP, they head up the acoustic side of these practices. And just as I said with BDP, you know, Richard used to come to the table after Colin. Now they go together. One of the things I'm hearing from people like Jack Richardson at Hilson Moran, who work on some of the most famous buildings like the walkie tilkie building the gherkin the shard i think they did well certainly baswell worked on the shard these these companies are working on major buildings but an acoustics academy is needed because an academy educates and we are trying to up the agenda of the importance of acoustics in the architectural practices and just as you have acoustic departments someone like jack or someone like adrian arab they uh, have the technology they understand which products will make their buildings work the best it's almost like a patchwork quilt you need this type of ceiling this type of flooring these kind of walls and when you do that you know one of the one of our certified brands is Echophon, okay sangaban Echophon, and they treat schools when they treat schools absenteeism reduces grades increase and one school they worked at went, went became ofsted rating outstanding school post-acoustic treatment because what was happening with the acoustic treatment the, the children in the class could hear the child the teacher better they could absorb the information better and they could do better things if you improve meeting rooms in offices if you improve the work acoustics work improves okay um so it's the acoustics academy's role to make it easy for architectural practices to access the materials which are going to improve the acoustics of their space. Our podcast, our social media, our storytelling is constantly advising architecture and the building sector, look, don't put this low on the agenda, bring it up. Because if a building, you know, one of the guests on our podcast, again, was a company called Soundtrack City. Okay, they're a Dutch company. We're back in Amsterdam. All right. And they were talking about a, a square. It's not just internal spaces, it's external spaces. So Soundtrack City, they were looking at a square in Amsterdam. I'm going to pronounce it terribly, but it's, come, it's called Major Fissure Plane Square. Okay, maybe that's not such a bad pronunciation. Anyway, Major Fissure Plane uh, had this square and it was renovated for use by the public. People were going to sit there, they could have a drink, they could meet friends after work, you know, and they could enjoy this square. But guess what? No one was using it. Why? Because... The surfaces of this square were reflecting sound so bad, you couldn't hear your friend when you were having a drink. One of the things they looked at was that the plant pots in the square were two meters by two meters, here's the magic word, square. If they'd use circular plant pots, the sound wouldn't have reflected off the surfaces. And that's one thing visually that could have been changed to make it improved acoustically. It's funny, if you say to someone, if they go to an amazing building, you say, uh, how was the building? And they go, oh, it was amazing. It had beautiful stained glass windows, spires. They can describe the visuals for ages, like the red nail varnish can be described for ages. But when you say to them, 
how did the building sound? They're like, uh, you know, I don't know. But if you say to them, how did the building make you feel? They go, oh, it felt great. I walked through the door. I, you know, one of the buildings which is well certified in New York is the Hearst Building, which is where Good Housekeeping Institute is located. It's got a, the seat, the, the roof of the building doesn't have a hole in it, but it captures water. That water runs through the building, down the banisters of the escalators, so that people going coming off the busy streets of New York that we spoke about earlier, when they walk into the well, into the uh, Hearst building, they hear water coming down the banisters. And the feeling is this, I've just left, you know, New York cabs and pneumatic drills. I've walked into this space and I suddenly feel amazing. I feel ready to work. I be, feel ready to be my best self and do my best day's productive work because I've gone to a space which sounds great. And like I say, we talked about Greta Thunberg educating and then we change our habits. And it, I, I hope that the Acoustics Academy is, along with our guests on the podcast, is one of the things that helps the whole building sector industry go, you know what? And actually, COVID has uh, and lockdown, I'm, terrible as it is, has accelerated the message and risen the appreciation that we, if a building, it's all very well a building look right, but if it doesn't sound right, people won't go there, just like Major Fisher Pine Square. I mean, I think the, the work you guys are doing is amazing because uh, I always push for education. That's the way we're going to get the change. And now you're educating the, the leaders and, 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 you know, the architecture that are designing it. And now I'm going to ask you to tell us two to three sounds that evoke positive emotions and memories in your life and three that evokes negative. And please tell us why. Uh, well, okay. Let's start with the positive sounds that evoke positive uh, emotions in me. I've talked a lot about cycling on this program, and in all honesty, the sound that a wheel makes on a bicycle when you're just coasting through a country lane or down the streets. I listened to it this morning. I, I, I cycle every day for an hour before I start my day's work. It's too easy in lockdown to go from bed to desk or, or whatever. And I make sure I get an hour in the morning and a lot of that's on the bike. And I listen to podcasts or I listen to nature, but the sound of a bicycle wheel is a magical sound to me as a child. And it still evokes the same sense of magic within me. So the first sound that I love is a clicking bicycle wheel. I, I used to tour the Alps with the fireflies and all this sort of stuff. And, you know, these, these cycle teams and I, I love my bike it is freedom um another sound that evokes positivity in me i'm a drummer so the drummers of my youth and i'll name check a few there was stuart copeland of the police clement burke of blondie john bradbury of the specials you know these are the guys that really made me want to drum and if music suddenly comes on whether it's on the radio or on shuffle on spotify when i hear those three drummers and any of the drummers of my youth happiness that's really good and the third and final one, a bit of a romantic one, the one that is positive, is film projectors. There's that famous scene in Mad Men where Don Draper has been asked to come up with a campaign for a slide projector. And he takes it home and he looks at it and he's thinking, what am I going to say? How are we going to advertise this, this um, circle with slides in it? And he takes, when he looks at his family photographs in that slide projector, which goes click, 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 or the whirring of a eight, super eight millimeter film projector. And he's looking at his family shots or he's looking at the uh, film of uh, his children growing up. 
is such a beautiful thing. And when he goes back to the office, uh, Sterling Cooper, the agency in Mad Men, he says, this isn't a slide projector. This is a carousel. This is a carousel of memories. And I love that scene in Mad Men. It's one of my, fa- it's one of my favorite programs of all time. And it's one of my favorite moments. And it's all, sound is such an important part of those things. And so whenever I hear a film projector or a, a slide projector, I used to listen to those in my youth with my family. I still do today. And I think they conjure up really positive emotions in me. So that's that. In terms of negative ones, um, I thought about this because you shared this in advance with me. I think the sound I like least is when I hear people telling off their children publicly and humiliating them. I just, it's so, it's so unnecessary. I, I was a victim of bullying myself and whenever i hear anything that resembles intimidation or humiliation of anyone even an animal telling off your dog i i can't bear that sound so the sound of uh bullying or telling off your child humiliating someone i really don't like and that can that can equally apply to people shouting out of car windows or whatever it might be that just horrible and another sound um that makes me feel sad is when someone sitting at the table says, do you mind if I have that last slice of cake? That's one of the worst sounds anyone can say, because that means I can't have it. That's really bad news. And the third and final one, um, it's not so much a sound, but it's music. Uh, and really, I'm not going to say it's negative. It's, it's a, a feeling of melancholy. Uh, I'm a big fan of jazz and all sorts of music. And there's um, the horns on the man that got away by Judy Garland, which was in the film A Star Is Born in 1954. Um, It's an arrangement by Skip Martin and the horns. There's so much yearning in the sound of those horns in that song. You know, we talked about music earlier being a language that everyone understands. You know, Judy is singing what I think is her best song, The Man That Got Away. And it's full of regrets. It's full of yearning. And whilst she tells that story in her vocal and lyrically, it's the accompanying horns in that song. They just punch a hole in my heart every time I hear them. And I absolutely love that. So even though it's a negative thing, it's a sad feeling. It's a melancholy feeling. It's something I can play that song all day long and I want to feel that way because it's just, it's just beautiful. That music, music and sound will do that to you, Jazz, won't it? Yes, it does. It really does. Thank you very much, Simon, for sharing your own story and for sharing the amazing work that you guys do at Quiet Mark. Uh, It's really needed. It really needed to be pushed. And yeah, continue doing the amazing work you do. And thank you for letting me share your story. Well, you know, anything we can do to amplify our mission uh, we really appreciate and uh, to do it on your show with your passion for sound and music and AI and science. It's a real thrill. I've, I've been, I talk about listening to podcasts on my cycle rides. I've been listening to episodes of yours, really enjoying your guests. I love what you're doing. So thank you for inviting us and giving us an opportunity to talk, not just a bit about my crazy drumming days, but also the work that we're doing at Quiet Mark. Thank you so much, Chaz. Thank you. Well, that's all for today's episode of The Power of Audio, Science and AI. I'm Jasmine Moradi, your host, and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and support by sharing this content on your social media. 
This episode is supported by Stockholm Music City.